Hello and welcome to this week's Newspeak, the New Culture Forum's weekly look at the news agenda. I'm very pleased to be joined, as usual, by our senior fellow, Rafe Hadelman-Ku, historian and world commentator, and uh, Amy Gallagher, the woman behind uh, Stand. Do you prefer woman or lady? I don't mind. <laughs> <laughs> the woman behind Stand Up to Woke um, and Campaigner. Very pleased uh, that you're both here. Before we talk about events of this week, I uh, just want to say a few things. First of all, um, our Locals programme is uh, carrying on strength to strength. Uh, yesterday, I was up in Hull, uh, a great new branch there. Very pleased about that. Uh, the next one, actually, is going to be in Salisbury on Tuesday, the 7th of November. And we have a special guest speaker in Tim Montgomery, who you probably know, he's been on the channel, and he's conservative commentator. Uh, that is on Tuesday, the 7th of November in Salisbury. Now, if you would like details of attending on the 7th of November, then please go to locals at newcultureforum.org.uk. Uh, express your interest in coming, if you're in Salisbury or just around Salisbury, or even if you're not. And uh, then we will send you the details in due course. Uh, really hope to see you there. They are very, very fun evenings. Just a couple of other things before we go on. Um, we've been doing an awful lot of content lately. I hate that expression, content, but, you know, programs to you and I, I think. I'm very, very pleased to say that the speeches from our recent immigration conference um, are gradually going up. Please do look at them. They are... Uh, brilliant, I think. Uh, Race is already up, it's on about 100,000 views, I think, right? Uh, Philip Kisley, too. And we've got all the speakers gradually going up over the past, uh, over the next week or so. So please do uh, take a look at that. It was a great conference. And this is a wonderful way of um, basically making sure uh, as many people as possible can see what happened there. Now, this week, obviously, events still dominated by what happened in Israel. Uh, but in fact, we're going to be looking also uh, at what happened here at home with two what appear to be massive uh, defeats uh, for the Tory government in the two by-elections. One was in Tamworth, the other one in mid-Bedfordshire. What exactly does this mean uh, for the government? Um, and also, after that, we're going to be looking at the various calls uh, for this country to take refugees from Gaza. Um, Ray, first things first, uh, the by-elections. Uh, whenever there are by-elections like this, and these, these were huge defeats for the government, mm. people say, well, that's it. You know, this is a foretaste of what's to come. Do, is it really? Do you think it's completely sewn up? Well, of course, we have to always remember a week is a long time in politics, mm. and we have a, a year to go till the next general election. So. You know, anything can happen in, in, in the world that we're in. We didn't expect COVID. And mm. uh, we know full well that had it not been for COVID, the government would be on track to probably getting another majority at the, ne at the next election. So we can't, we can't, I mean, we didn't expect Liz Truss to have that budget that went so catastrophically wrong. So who knows what might happen to Labour, for example, over the next year. But things look uh, existentially bad now after these two. I mean, as recently as May, Sir John Curtis, who's the nation's leading pollster, said that it's likely that the Labour Party will, will, def will, will defeat the Tory party. Now he essentially is saying it's clear that they will, will do. Because these weren't just 
minor defeats. These were major defeats. Both of these by-elections go into the top ten record swings mm. in history. The uh, one of them is actually the, the number two worst defeat for the Tory Party in a by-election. Now, there's a couple of mitigating factors here. One is that the two incumbent MPs were deeply unpopular. One was Chris Pincher by name, Pincher by nature, and the other who, who, who resigned after sexual uh, assault allegations. And the other one was Nadine Doris, who hadn't been uh, present, had been AWOL from the constituency for, but I think, months. Yes. Um, so those are two factors we, we, we must consider. And also, a lot of people were actually voting for the Labour Party, who wouldn't normally vote for the Labour Party, in order to deliberately incur a defeat on the Tories, whether they would do that at a general election or whether they would vote for their main party, the Lib Dems or whoever, we don't know. Also, of course, the Reform Party did very well here. It must, it must be noted, actually, and that's also hemorrhaging votes away too. Uh, and that's what, what is very well in this context. Well, I can't remember what they were. Was it seven? Do you remember how much they did? Or seven? It, in in Mid Bedfordshire, they got about. 3.7%. But what was interesting mm. was that the difference between Conservative and Labour was less than that. So if everybody that voted for reform in mid Bedfordshire had voted for Conservative, which they would likely give, mm. give them between Conservative mm. and Labour, then Conservative would have held the seat. So they are in quite a powerful position oh, in that sense. Mm. Yeah, they were, they were king, kingmakers in essence. Yes. And Rishi Sunak really doesn't know what to do now because they're being advised behind the scenes by Dominic Cummings, who's already said to them, look, it really is game over, it's too late, but if you want to change things, you need to do very big, dramatic uh, decisions that will actually get the attention onto you. That's why we had the cancelling of HS2, for example. That's why we've had the whole thing about net zero, uh, the changes on that, trying to make seismic decisions. And what's happened, nothing happened. There was no evidence that the HS2 decision were, um, had any impact at all on, on, the, on this... Uh, these two by-elections and I'm thinking oh, I'm not surprised actually because diverting that money into repairing potholes and buses no one's going to vote because the potholes have been filled up people need to see dramatic effects in their local towns mm -hmm. as in exist new railways being built east to west sort of thing that's what you need rather than dedicating money to, to potholes and so forth I think this is a huge crisis is actually going to be the according to Sir John Curtis by the, the, on this measure a bigger defeat than they had under uh, with Tony Blair in mm -hmm. 1997 even though Keir Starmer is nowhere near as popular so this is an existential crisis it may be of course as we say what the Tory party needs to have they need to have a defeat like this so that they can be finally replaced by a true conservative party uh, whether that will happen we don't know but this is I think is a foretelling of things to come yeah I mean, you, would you would that be a good result for you actually if, if the Tories were actually obliterated I don't want Labour in power <laughs> even now when we say that there's very little difference I still think it would be worse under Labour mm. yeah I mean, I think, I think these elections showed, I mean, it wasn't so much that there was a surge for Labour. It was just that not many people, there wasn't a great turnout for the Conservatives. That, that was more the issue, as, as I understand it. Um, I, I mean, I spoke to one Tory councillor um, who essentially said that the, the, they didn't run a very good campaign in either of the two constituencies. They didn't make much use of social media. Um, it was it was a bit of a, you know, one of the, the mid Bedfordshire Twitter account has less than 200 followers. And actually reform, because they're a small party, were really pumping pushing and it. pushing a lot. So mm. actually they got a lot of the Tory vote. Um, in terms of the Tory, I mean, I don't know. I, I, yeah, I, I just feel I don't, I don't particularly want a Tory or a Labour government. And I don't, so I'm a bit homeless politically in that sense. Would you in that situation have voted for reform? I yeah, know I'm not meant to good, ask what people would vote. No, it's a good question. Yeah, potentially, yeah, I do like reform. 
Um, and maybe, you know, the fact that they have essentially caused the, the Tories to lose their seat mm. might make the Tories more aware that actually, you know, that the voters voted for reforms, ideas, you know, they're, they're not going to vote Labour. So there is a, there is a, a group of people that want the, the Conservatives to be Conservative, which is what yeah. the Reform Party are offering them. Yeah. Um, and they're, you know, they're not ashamed to be Conservative and that they're, they're quite strong in their identity in a way that Conservatives aren't. Also worth noting that, that uh, Britain First, yeah. this uh, a group outpolled the Green Party, and I think outpolled the Lib Dems. I can't quite remember. Now, mm. some network guardians and so forth refused to mention them. They weren't actually listed on the final results, mm. even though they did outperform. But that tells you something about the reaction people are having mm. to the failures of this government to act mm. in a truly conservative way on issues mm. like immigration and integration. And what the search for Britain first and what the search for the Reform Party, even though they're very different parties, all that it shows you is that there is actually a vote that could have gone towards the Conservatives if they had actually had a proper Conservative mm. agenda on protecting our borders. Yes, yes. Mm. I mean, when you say this was the uh, second, the second sort of biggest upset, sorry, I didn't mean to, but what was the first? Was it during the Blair years? Was it, I'm, I don't, know what, I don't know what the first one, but they've held that seat since 1931. It's always really? been, it's always been conservative. Yeah, yeah, because there is this thing that basically whenever you have an election or by-election, people say, oh my God, well, this <laughs> if, and they extrapolate, and then it never comes through. But this, this time, it does seem different, simply because, you know, what did they come up with? Banning smoking for kids, cancelling HS2, and something about A-levels. And you sort of think, I'm sorry, but... These are not going to capture anyone's imagination. How tinnied can you be? It's a very confused message and they're lacking identity, aren't they? Which is, it's not surprising that this campaign wasn't run very well because well, what are they running on? It's, it's, yes. it's very difficult for councillors to, yeah. to know how to present themselves, whereas reform do have a more stronger sense of, of what they are. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know what they're doing. I mean, Dominic Cummings, if, if Rishi's being given advice from Dominic Cummings, I mean, he's supposed to be the sort of the person that knows all about social media and, and you know, messaging and, and, mm. and the like. And it doesn't seem as though he's given the government much advice in that respect because it seems very, there's, no, there's not a coherent, uh, like I said, a coherent identity. Mm. Uh, well, that's the problem. There's a battle going on in the Tory party. I mean, he, mm. they, they spoke to Robert Buckland, who's very much middle of the road, for example, on the results of this. And he said, oh, well, we need to ensure that we, duck, we buckle down on the getting the economy together. Mm. Whereas another MP said, well, we need to really start getting to grips on immigration mm. and on the trans issues and all of this. And that's the big debate. There are those who want the party to be truly conservative and, and get, into, get into the culture wars quite happily. And, and others who just say, oh, no, we, we must mm. remain middle of the road, even though that's got them nowhere. And it's the, it's, it's, it's the Prime Minister's attempts to try to keep that ship afloat with mm. both ends that I think is the problem here. Did you see uh, Dominic Cummings? I think it's on this thing called Substack, which is a new platform, newish platform, uh, mostly for writers. He did this exhaustive plan, didn't he, for a new party. Did you mm. see that? I mean, well, it, and then he, you know, it was backwards and forwards. People were kind of Matthew Goodwin kind of replied to him and everything. He was going through all the things you kind of need to do. And I think at the basis of it was this belief that actually the current Tory party just forgets that you do need this new party and you need so many millions as well for it in terms of money. Mm. Um, there is one thing we're all talking about. It's like a done deal for Labour, but just something 
is emerging, isn't it, at the moment, this past week, and that is the bind that Keir Starmer has got himself in when it comes to the response to the issue of Israel and Gaza. Um, do you think that's really going to make a difference? Make a difference in what sense? Uh, to, to his, you know, basically he's showing at the general election. I mean, essentially he went to a mosque and he's, you know, he's also come out with saying, you know, basically that we support Israel and that, that we won't support uh, uh, Gaza or terrorism and all of this. Um, but in fact, it's opened up a schism between his Muslim supporters. I mean, this is quite a, this is quite big. I and, mean, you know, it's only just kind of boiling away now, actually. Yeah, and of course, the mosque that he visited has put out a statement, in essence, yes. condemning him. The thing is, he's had to change the, the Labour Party's direction so much after Jeremy Corbyn mm. that in a sense he's overcompensating mm. to a great degree. He's mm. so determined to make people realise this is not the same party, uh, even though of course it still is because anti-Semitism still Entirely. runs. Yeah. Right? But he's trying to give every impression that he's on top of this mm. and that he's rooted out anti-Semitism. But of course when, when there's such a strong left-wing element with people like Diane, uh, Diane Abbott's uh, fellow compatriots in there, but also we have to remember how many um, Labour MPs who are Muslim have espoused yes, yes. terribly yeah. anti-Semitic views. That's still that's still a cancer at the heart of the Labour Party. And uh, but of course, what does that mean? Does that mean that the Muslims won't vote Labour at the next general election? I don't think that's going to be the case because they have a stranglehold over so much of the north of England, for mm. example. It's in their best interest to do so, particularly on the, on the council level and so forth. They aren't going to transfer their vote to the, the, any other party that I can see. Yes. So I don't think it's going to have that much of a dramatic effect on them. Well, the, the, what is interesting actually about the, uh, and I suppose obvious, about the events that have dominated over the past two or three weeks is that they are having a fallout effect on every single aspect of politics, I would say. Um, mm. One of those most recently has come up is that there have been calls that we should take refugees from Gaza. In particular, this, one, this call has been made by Yusuf, um, Hamza Yusuf, you know, First Minister of Scotland. Should we take refugees from Gaza? No, no, <laughs> I don't think we should. I mean, it's very, I mean, all of the nearby countries, Egypt, Jordan, Saudi Arabia and so on, they've all said flatly no, that they're not going to take refugees. Yeah. And that they've cited, you know, national security, um, cultural identity as reasons for not taking on those, taking on those refugees. So I don't know why it would be. I, I mean, it's incredible, really. It's mm. it's such a, and it's so disrespectful for, to the Jewish community here that mm. you would think that you know, g given all what's gone on in the last three weeks, to hear something like that. I mean, it's. Just, I mean, this is a time when really, I think, in the last three weeks, it's been revealed there's a complete sort of existential crisis, essentially, yes. and that there's a completely parallel culture that does not uh, reflect kind of the culture that we're used to, um, and there's no shared values at all between with that culture, and that. I mean, the one, I was thinking the one thing that unites all of us, or even, even as we've become increasingly divided, is that we all agreed that Britain standing up to the Nazis and defeating Hitler was a good thing. And we, we, did, we don't like the Nazis because they killed the Jews. That was the one thing that everybody across the political spectrum agreed with. And now it seems there's a large group of people that don't even agree with that necessarily, mm. that actually want the Jews dead or eradicated. So it feels like there's, there's no shared values whatsoever. Um, and yeah, it, it, the idea that you'd want to bring in more of those people when we're already at a kind of cultural crisis, 
It just beggars belief, really. It does to me. It's why I remember well, that, um, that Nigel Farage on his show actually made the point. He went, he talked about, I think it was Denmark, um, basically taking in refugees, of which 64% had already committed a crime, and about 34% of their children had committed a crime. Um, to me, though, obviously these are important things, but it seemed to rather miss the basic point, which was that you don't make the situation, the cultural situation, even worse. Yeah. Well, also, it's the, it's the hypocrisy of the left not to point out the fact they were so keen to show footage from Baghdad and around the Middle East mm. over the last weekend, where hundreds of thousands were in the streets protesting uh, Israel's presence in Gaza and protesting what's going on there. But suddenly, when they're asked to take refugees in, they, they, they're, they're silent and they refuse to take them. Well, if you can have hundreds of thousands in the street protesting, surely you can take your fair, fair share of those refugees in, in the local area within the Middle East. There's a reason, you know, you hear from Owen Jones and Ash Sarker all the time, Gaza is an open air prison. Yes, well, one of those prison walls is actually with Egypt. <laughs> mm -hmm. So why hasn't Egypt opened its its doors because General El Sisi, the president of uh, Syria, of uh, of Egypt, he knows full well that he doesn't want to flood his country with so many radical Muslims who are coming in, and he understands the threat that's going to place. Also, the people in the region don't want to depopulate Gaza. No one talks about this. They want the, the Palestinians to remain in Gaza to keep the question of the Palestinian statehood alive. So the poor Palestinian people are being kept as pawns, political pawns, by the Arab states in order to just to ad advance their cause against the Israelis and to, to remain a thorn in the side of Israel when they could save the suffering potentially of thousands of people's lives mm -hmm. if they just temporarily house them in refugee camps, not just in Egypt, they could be put elsewhere. The wealth of the Arab world is so vast, trillions of dollars that you have in UAE and Saudi Arabia and so forth, they could easily build you know, Nightingale type uh, camps to house temporarily and they could also have been sp spent the last few years actually putting money into Gaza to develop its infrastructure. Yeah. If they were so concerned about yeah. Palestine, they're only concerned about it when they can protest uh, against Israel. And that's something that needs to be called out for what it is. And yet you have the Refugee Council and Hamza Youssef yeah. saying they should be coming to Britain. Not a single Palestinian refugee should come to Britain. No, no, I mean, absolutely not. Have you found that sort of there's been a, obviously a lot of reporting about the growth in uh, sudden growth in anti-Semitic attacks? Mm -hmm. Have you sort of encountered anything yourself? Have you seen or heard anyone say anything? You sort of think, wow, that's a bit strong. Yeah, yeah. I, I have. Really? So I, I, was, I was topping up my oyster in an underground station and two young women came up to me, one of whom was wearing a, a hijab, and she said, are you a Jew? You're and, kidding me. No, no, no. And I said, excuse me? And she said, are you a Jew? And I said, uh, I don't want to say what my ethnicity is. And she came, leaned in and she went, free Palestine, and then walked off. Gosh, really? Yeah. Remarkable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was left quite, I was quite, you know, I was left quite sort of startled by it. Yeah. And I was sort of a bit, I felt quite um, affected by it. And I yeah. sort of said to myself, yeah, pull yourself together. It's just words, you know, it's, you know, whatever. And I was thinking, why do I feel so affected by it? And I was thinking, because this was at the time of the protest. And I was thinking, because there's a huge protest out there with a lot of people who are openly saying that they want the Jews eradicated. And someone's just mistaken me for a Jew. And I thought, oh my gosh, can you imagine what it's like for, for Jews? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not Jewish, but it was, it was kind of, I, I never, I've never had an experience like that before mm. in my life. Um, 
and it, it, yeah, it was kind of it was kind of scary, and I thought it did feel like things had sort of changed suddenly. Mm. It mm. was, um, yeah, yeah. How about you, or if you sort of witnessed anything? I mean, you know, this is happening. All these things are happening all around us. But have you sort of actually witnessed anything? I like haven't that? myself. I mean, like many people, I've seen lots of things, video clips and so mm. forth of outrageous scenes. Well, people in Leicester Pe Square last mm. night ripping down yeah. these kidnap posters, you know, the, the kids. Which I absolutely can't understand, you know. And I've thankfully, particularly in America and elsewhere, they're now being named, they're being identified, they're being named, shamed and fired. And we've had a number of young uh, law graduates who've lost their jobs in law firms. We've had dentists and others who've been fired by their dental practices because they've been shown to be doing that. So I hope that will, will incentivize people not to do it as much. But actually, you know, a lot of this is happening during the protests that we saw. And you're quite right about these parallel societies that now exist in our culture. But it was my great grievance from this weekend was seeing how ineffectual the police were and how reluctant they were to take action when they were so keen to take action when we had the lockdown protests uh, and when EDL had its march, for example. I mean, I had an online spat briefly with uh, Aaron Bastani, the founder of um, oh, yeah. Navarra Media on this very topic, where I was lambasting the, the police for only having a thousand people present. There are, th are 35,000 police officers in the Metropolitan Police. They're used to policing big events like Notting Hill Carnival and the coronation and so forth. And they're used to being able to ask other police forces to bring in uh, assistance when needed. So why they only had a thousand when there were allegedly a hundred thousand on the streets, I don't understand. And they only had 10 arrests. Now, when they had 275 arrests during the Notting Hill Carnival over two days. They arrested 150 people at one of the lockdown protests in 2020, another 150 at the EDL protest, protest before that. Why they are so reluctant to arrest people on these grounds is absolutely indefensible. Aaron Bostani likes to say that, oh, well, they just, their modus operandi is to just film people and, and, and arrest afterwards. That's not true. We saw in clear evidence two-tier policing where they were actually helping uh, protesters off mm -hmm. of scaffolding mm -hmm. and handing back the Palestinian mm -hmm. flag to them so they could mm -hmm. go on their way. Mm -hmm. I thought it was a despicable, a despicable uh, betrayal of the rights of Londoners to walk about the streets in peace. Also, actually, they treated us to the police, treated us to definitions of jihad, yeah, didn't no. they? Yeah. Suddenly they've got this very nuanced approach yes. to language, which doesn't yes. seem to be the case with other words or other, you know, races. But suddenly there's been this great intellectual debate about what jihad means. I mean, I think when there's a war that's just broke out and a group of people take to the streets and shout jihad, which one of the meanings of that words is holy war, I think, we can, I think it's safe to assume that that's what they are calling for. Mm. And that that could be considered to be an excite, incitement to violence. But of course, you know, there's a, a reluctance to say that. And there's just been this back and forth between that, you know, Suella Bravo and the Home Secretary and the police. She's saying that the legislation's there, you should act on it. And the police are saying, well, the legislation's not clear. And then, and then, you know, the kind of the broader picture gets lost in this kind of interpretation of language. It seemed to me that they had these advisors, these experts. You saw from mm -hmm. their tweets, they said, oh, well, we have on board with us over this weekend yeah. experts, who obviously are the Muslim mm -hmm. and policemen and so forth. But they were choosing to give the most lenient definition towards jihad. I'm sorry, as you were saying, this was, you know, an, a group that may be prescribed as a terrorist group very soon, having their own private event. Now, in that context, when you're calling from jihad on the streets, where there are signs behind you saying we need Muslim armies, we know what they mean. Mind you, if they had actually just misgendered somebody in the 
same speech, I'm sure they would have been arrested. That's where we are now. Muslims calling for jihad on the streets don't get arrested. A veteran who retweets a photograph will get arrested and have his house ransacked by three different people. You also saw people with flags in the streets, which were not directly ISIS flags, but are very closely, but are actually very closely linked to terrorism. And again, the, the police chose to give it the most lenient interpretation possible. Well, why would you say they do that? I would say it's because they're frightened. I would say that basically, um, you know, you've got just under 300,000 Jewish people in Britain and you've got 4 million Muslims, uh, a proportion of whom uh, will have anti-Semitic views probably on these demonstrations. And it becomes about crowd control almost and sort of, this is the problem, it's sort of, but we were told that the, the, the protesters were all peaceful people coming from mm. the suburbs, mm. right? Mm. So what are the police saying? Are the police actually saying, well, no, they aren't full of people from, you know, the, the leafy suburbs who are just, no, these are actually radicals. Who is in that crowd mm. then? Mm. Uh, and if it is a threat, why are there only a thousand police officers? I don't think that's an excuse. I think it's the same thing we saw in Rotherham. They're mm. petrified by political correctness yes. and they don't want to be tarred as being racist. It's f- and, of course, and then what do we see? We saw the police actually, you know, Kettling some some white chaps with with England England flags, saying one wrong word and we'd be done for racism. Well, yes. uh, yeah, <laughs> the, the irony is they are protect, they're protecting the majority. Jews are yeah. the minority in the situation, yes. and in that situation, it's yeah. incredibly dangerous to walk into a massive crowd full of Palestinian pl- flags carrying an England flag. Actually, those people that were doing that were in the m- minority, and they needed protecting. And it was interesting that the police said. I think the police actually said to them, if you say anything that's close to racism, we will arrest you. Now, were they going up to the Palestinian protesters and and saying, if you say anything that's remotely anti-Semitic, we will arrest you? Well, I didn't see that. I didn't see them saying that to them. It's because it didn't happen. Actually, it was one slight correction. You know, you say, if you say anything close to racism, it wasn't even that. They said, we have to look out for anything that's close to racism. I your flag. Yeah. The, the you know, flag. Never mind the, the black flag or the jihad. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You see, this is this, this was incredibly worrying when you saw them having to then protect these. There were these guys. I don't know who they were. You know, why should we immediately put the worst motives on on these guys? They had a, 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 a cross of St George with God save the king, and they were they were kind of kettled in, in a pub entrance, I think, and. The, these people were screaming at them and you sort of thought actually you know that's you know you are the real haters actually you are the real haters. when you we are doubtless going to discuss this obviously again but when you kind of look at it do you think i mean people who watch this program are concerned about what's happening in britain and the same goes for all other kind of media i suppose do you think that the majority of people do you think any scales are falling from any eyes about this it's difficult to tell. I mean, I feel like it's, I know everyone says a tipping point. For me, it feels like a tipping point, but it's difficult to know whether that's reverberating outwards. I don't know. Mm. It feels like um, we've seen, I think the kind of the woke narrative has just been revealed completely to be about naked power because we've seen minorities like, like the Jews are just, they just don't count. They're just, you know, mm. nobody mm. seems to care. The whole, the whole, you know, attack on Israel seems to have been totally forgotten. Um, there was a, there was a demonstration for Israel, but it doesn't get obviously the numbers and the attention that the Palestinian demonstration. And these demonstrations are continuing. It's been three weekends now that mm. they've done these Palestinian. Mm. It almost feels a bit like Black Lives Matter that it's just this thing that's going to go on and on. Um, 
Yeah, I, d I don't know. It's difficult to tell. Uh, I mean, when you look at, isn't it sort of also some of these things that shows it just shows of strength, aren't they? I mean, mm. surely the mass praying outside it's Downing Street. I mean, why would you go outside Downing Street? It, this is a mass. This is a show of strength. It's a flexing of muscles, mm. and you're seeing it not just in London. We saw the same sort of prayers that being done elsewhere throughout throughout mm. Europe and in in Stockholm and Berlin and elsewhere. Uh, I don't think this is going to change anything. It's funny how when things happen on the left, you do get a seismic change through media and culture. Mm -hmm. So the George Floyd thing mm -hmm. lit a touch paper, which spurred yes, people on to true. change things. This is just the reverse. I think there's a, there's a d deliberate attempt to pretend it's not happening. Now, those of us who watch the right channels on YouTube or on Twitter are aware of what's going on, but you're not seeing this covered in the mainstream media. You're not seeing this on the news feeds of people who, in the, who don't have an active interest in this sort of subject. So if actually for a great majority of the population, they aren't aware actually of what we've been seeing on the streets of London. And that's the scary thing actually, is that there's been a concerted effort to prevent people and the police are complicit as well as the media in trying to pretend that everything is still hunky-dory you know I just put onto Twitter today a startling list of uh, polling figures about the I fact that 9% yes. of, of British Muslims support terrorism which is 350,000 people one-third of, mm. of young Muslims 16 to 24 believe you should be put to death if you leave the faith 52% believe the homosexuality should be illegal compared to 5% of the population there is a power society that exists here and yet the number of responses from people saying I can't believe what I've just read this is astounding yes. people aren't being told any of this information and we're sleepwalking to disaster yes do you have you any of you say watched like GB news during this period I mean have they sort of been a little bit more even-handed about it I don't yeah, know. GB, yeah GB news yeah. has done very well on the, they've and they've, they've sent people to uh, to Israel to yes. cover this yeah. sort Charlie of issue Peters is there. And Charlie Peters who of course did a documentary about the grooming gang yes. scandals so you know at least you're not going to get yes. a, a sanitized version of facts there I thought I actually thought he, he showed great um, gumption actually in going out there and uh, he's that he's been very very good Charlie Peters but uh, also on talk Talk TV, I mean, I've been on it about, and I know you have, um, they've been quite open uh, to criticism, uh, you know, or I say criticism to covering every aspect of this. But you're, I agree, it's, there's a huge challenge, isn't there, to the narrative at the moment? Mm. Isn't that what it yeah. is, really? Yeah, definitely. I think that's what we're seeing. Yeah, I mean, GB News have done a lot around the kind of free speech issue of you know, jihad and getting into the technicalities of the legislation, like I said. Um, but I think, like I said, it's a broader issue, isn't it? And nobody knows what nobody knows what to do about mm. the broader cultural issue. So we end up focusing on thinking about, you know, hate speech laws and all of this sort of thing. Whereas actually, it's just like everybody's lost. What what do we do about this? We're seeing something, and maybe the fact that it's not being taken up so much is because nobody knows what to do or, or what. Actually, you know, that's a respond. very good point. Actually, this whole free speech thing, I've noticed it as well on social media. Mm. People talking about whether you, what you should be able to say. I totally agree. Although there is a discussion to be had about that, it does seem beside the point in the general context. I mean, when you're talking about civilization versus barbarism, <laughs> it seems like a small, <laughs> shall we say, offshoot yes. uh, of the argument. But uh, you're definitely having that. Uh, and we will return to that probably in the future. Um, Amy, thank you very much. Rafe, thanks very much indeed. Um, thank you as well. Uh, we shall see you next time. In the meantime, do have a nice week, won't you? Hello, if you're enjoying the New Culture Forum channel and you believe in our mission, may I invite you to join our membership scheme 
at the link below or on our website, newcultureforum.org.uk. Our work is more important now than ever, and we have great plans ahead for the future, but we can't do it without your support. From as little as £3 per month, you can help ensure that we continue on our mission. As a member, you'll receive a range of benefits, including access to exclusive content, invitations to our private events, including here at our studios, free copies of our books, and much, much more, including, of course, our famous NCF mug. If you aren't able to become a member, then please help us by clicking this button and subscribing to our channel. It's completely free. Just remember to also click the bell icon so that you can get notifications when we post new videos. Thank you. Thank you.